As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Stars Matter in the Until Saturday feed. I'm Mitch Light, joined by Ari Wasserman, a national college football reporter, And this week, we learned two things about Ari. Doesn't like nepotism, doesn't like Iowa's offense. Fair to say, Ari? Well, I think that, like, most people don't like those two things. I don't know if I'm, like, (laughs) unique on that. Well, I think think Um, your point in the story was that Kirk Ferentz likes the offense. Yeah, my my whole thing about that column that I wrote about Iowa was that we were concerned on uh, Sunday when I wrote it that it was a little too harsh. Yes. And then we changed the headline to be harsher and then put it into the New York Times. So thank you for that. And uh, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the general feedback. But I thought it was good. A lot of people read it. Yeah. Um, I wrote two columns this week. And neither of them resulted in everybody hating me. So like that is like a, a pretty step forward, you know. Um, and before we introduce the rest of the crew, because I know we got to get to that. Um, do you think that anywhere in Connor Stallion's manifesto, from yes. the Michigan manifesto that there is a clear and identifiable high school recruiting strategy built into that for Michigan. If he write 500 pages and there's not, he has not done his job. I would spend thousands of dollars. I think to get the raw unedited copy of that right now. Okay. We can, I'll, I'll look into that now. Yes. Another f- prominent Michigan alum, the Unabomber also wrote a manifesto. Yes, so, he, he did. Which, it's yeah. a lot of, uh, the word manifesto in general just scares me because it's yeah. just not really. Uh, there were some good ones, I think. I don't know okay. what they were, but we, we, you know, maybe we, later Ari will have a manifesto section. We, you know, we go yeah. over commits, we'll go but over manifesto. I, I do think it is funny that every time I, re- I file a column, it's a manifesto and you just edit it down 800 words. But that's <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> All right. We're also joined by Manny Navarro, uh, covers recruiting and Miami Force. Manny covers a team that won a home conference game. Yeah, it's exciting. Like? Yeah. It's exciting uh, to actually see Mario Cristobal. I mean, he didn't take a knee. They won it on defense, but hell, they won a game. So that's that's a step forward. Yeah. Have and they won a game taking a knee yet since that happened? Uh, well, they lost the They took the knee at the end of yes. regulation. <laughs> I cannot right. wait till the next time Manny is at the game and they're winning by 11 or but winning by six with like 41 seconds left to see if they actually do it. Like, I'm on knee watch. I'm going to shut up. I'm like in a good mood today. I'm sorry. That's great. That's great. And and uh, joined by Grace Rainer, covers recruiting in college football. And you stole my bit. My note about Grace was all about her being in the process of writing a manifesto on Clemson football to give to Dabo since they lost to at Miami. Obviously, they need someone to give them a manifesto. So, Grace, how's that? You're on page, what, 422 so far? Definitely. Yep. Fired up about it. Yes. Um, Can I please right. co-byline that? Because I've got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> well, sure. Come she's, on. Yeah. She, well, Grace is basically stealing uh, thoughts. Transfer portal importance. Um, the importance of getting a certain caliber of athlete out of high school at a premium level. And watching what you say in post-game news conferences. Those are the three things that I would, I'd want. It's a good start. It's a good yeah, start. it's a good start. All right. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review. And leave us a question with your review, and we will answer it on the show. Uh, Subscribe to Until Saturday on YouTube. Be sure to join us live every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday on YouTube throughout the season as we preview and react 
to the weekend's games and hear from you, the listeners, on our Sunday Sound Off show stream, which I understand now is not just about venting about football. If you've got girl problems, relationship advice you need from Ari and Grace and David, uh, I understand that's a great place to leave a, a voicemail there. Ari is always willing to help out on that front. Leave a voicemail or a text on the Until Saturday phone at 316-462-9852. Sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter where you'll get your daily fill of college football news right in your inbox. And today, you can check out Stu Mandel. Had, he offers some thoughts on Penn State, kind of like Ari wrote a column on Penn State earlier in this week in his mailbag. And on the uh, newsletter, Stu offered his thoughts on kind of whether should should Penn State fans expect more? Can this program Does this program have national championship DNA? So go check that out. Before we get going, Ari, I want you to say the word until for me. Until. Okay. Because I listen to your podcast a lot. And you, you because uh, you're saying until Saturday, it seems like uh, you, you stumble over the word until a lot. Or you say it like until or something like that. So <laughs> do, is this something you've noticed or not? Are you, are you, uh, are you, no. are you, you're comfortable with the way you say that word? Well, not anymore. <laughs> 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 Didn't really occur to me. And I've got a, a producer, a very good one in Cam Molina, who sends me uh, manifestos of what I could get better at. And he hasn't covered that yet. So I don't know. It's just down the know, list. It's welcome on there. to until Saturday. That was, that was perfect. That's, That's good. Perfect okay, I'll work on that, that, Mitch. Thank you. Okay, By the way, I'm Mitch. Just- yeah. Mitch, when you when you said uh, I got girl problems, I swear to God, I was ready for you to break out into the JJ uh, Jay Z lyrics there with uh, ninety nine problems. I thought for sure you were about to break into it. It was great. Will you yeah. finish it, Mitch? What the, the lyrics? No, I don't know those lyrics. Okay, yes. All right, yeah. we need him to learn them for next show or something. <laughs> yeah. Always trying to get Mitch fired. <laughs> Mitch, yeah. Mitch is a huge rap music fan. I am Did you not. score tickets to this great country concert coming to Nashville? Yeah, Zach Bryan, very fired up. So uh, Grace helped me out too because I was on. It's at it's at the uh, where the Titans play Nissan Stadium. So I was on a pre-sale list, and I remember Grace's trying to get Taylor Swift tickets, and how that was such a nightmare. So I was on the pre-sale, so I was asking for advice on that. But evidently, the demand wasn't quite as great for Zach Bryan as uh, as uh, Taylor Swift. But hey, he's playing in the stadium, so he's got to be pretty big. Mitch sent me a video of Zach Bryan music to try to get me to buy in. I'm like, I'm gonna pass, but have a good time. I just want He's good. I got. Yeah, I learned good. it. I. I my son Gabe's big. He likes rap and country, so I, I listened to Zach Bryan through him. So, good show today. We thought we were going to have a discussion on five star wide receiver Ryan Wingo and where he was going, but Ryan very rudely pushed his announcement back to later this afternoon on Wednesday afternoon. We're still going to discuss. Seems like it's down to two options. Uh, we're going to dive into the James Franklin question. How good of a recruiter is James Franklin? We're going to review the big commits from the past week including a blue-chip quarterback heading to Colorado. We'll have mailbag questions and Grace's favorite subject, Grace's favorite topic, the trivia. So, okay. Will it be right this time? Yeah, I've, I've, I think I've been like a string of two in a row maybe that are correct. So okay. I'm trying, Ari. I'm really trying. Um, all right, Ryan Wingo, five-star wide receiver from St. Louis. Um, narrowed it down to Texas, Missouri. Basically, Texas and Missouri. Tennessee, Texas A&M, Miami, and there's um, one other school was in there. I'm, I'm uh, Tennessee, forgot. Texas A&M, Miami. Uh, there's six, but basically it's yeah, Texas. It's Texas and Missouri. It is. A lot of it's buzz lately. Place. Crystal balls pick for Missouri. It's announcing later today, Wednesday. Now there seems to be some movement for Texas. So we're gonna. Oh, Georgia. Georgia. Yes, yes. We're gonna now. We're gonna. It's a five star uh, prospect. We know. Yeah, we're going to talk about. Oh, yeah. So Georgia, yes. We, we just we just assume it was they were he was in there. So the interesting thing before we get into where he's going, and we saw this last week with L.J. McRae, Manny, the mm-hmm. the rankings fluctuation with. I don't know if I remember one for like a skill guy like this. He is twenty two in the composite, but he's five, number five overall, two four seven sports, ninety second on on three. Yeah, it's that, re- it's really weird. It's really weird to see that much of a of a difference. Uh, and and I think rivals. Where did where, where did rivals have him? Like rivals 200? has him at nineteen, at okay. ESPN at twenty seven. So you get all that, and you get your composite. So, right. That is one. You know, just uh, obviously different thoughts. And I guess there's you know, yeah. are you've probably seen this too? Is like wide receivers. It depends on what you're looking for in a prospect. Some of them are just great athletes with great speed. Some of them are refined and more polished. Um, so kind of, I guess beauty's in the eye of the beholder there, but the key is 
if he does sign with Missouri, and I think whatever happens now, we can all agree, like, this isn't over. If he commits to Missouri, Texas is going to stay after him if he, and vice versa. But he would be, that would be two five stars in the class for Missouri. Uh, and Grace, I should have wrote this down. We have clarification on Williams, how to pronounce Williams' last name. Did you write yes. it down at least? Do you remember? I did. Nuweri. Okay. Williams Nuweri. So I've been botching that. Number two overall. And there's a pretty strong consensus that he is a, a top five player. Um, so Ari, this is kind of what you've been writing about for years about parity. How does parity happen? Parity happens when a school like Missouri gets two five stars. Yeah, you know what I think is really funny? Um, and you're a big baseball guy, but um, as I was watching the Diamondbacks. Oh, yeah. Clint you're a Diamondbacks. The pennant, well, I uh, had some action on the game. And, <laughs> and no. I am on fire right now. You? Um, no, but I was like curious because I live in Dallas and I'm from Phoenix. So I'm kind of, you know, both cities here. And there was a lot of discussion about how crappy the World Series matchup is this year because there's no you know, typical, I mean, I know they're both major markets in terms of how many people live in those cities, but typical major league baseball. And it's like funny because everybody was like complaining about how bad the matchup was and how terrible the TV ratings are going to be. And it's just like, everybody wants parody. And until we get it, and it's like, what if, and I, and I got me thinking about the show. Cause I was like, what if Mizzou actually turned out to be badass one year or good enough to disrupt? It's like, it kind of reminded me last year of, of TCU and it's like, they disrupted. And like, did people like that? Like looking back at it now, like when Cinderella advanced too far, uh, did they like it? I think that's an interesting discussion, but to your point and what you set me up to say is <laughs> certainly, um, if a team like Mizzou can drop in and get two of the 33 or 35 five-star prospects in a class, um, that makes them better. You know, they're having one of the better years that they've had in recent memory all because of a five-star receiver. And now we're talking about potentially getting a five-star skill position player on top of a five-star defensive lineman to sign in the class. And it's like, that makes Mizzou much more dangerous as we're going to come to find out later in the show. We talk about how much one recruiting win can change the trajectory of a program, but it also indirectly weakens the the, the teams at the top. So, um, you know, you mentioned funny, in a funny way that Georgia was involved in this. It's like, it's one less player that's going to go to Alabama or Georgia. And every single time that happens, it's almost like a plus one, minus one uh, scenario for the team that gets them. So I am all in favor of that. Um, I am on high alert this year. As we get closer and closer to November, I am going to the uh, Georgia-Florida game this weekend where we are kind of in this lull of maybe there's a lot of parity in the sport this year. Maybe someone new is going to win it all. And it's like, maybe it's just going to just be Georgia again, just mashing people to the championship. And it's like, nobody ever had a chance, but if we ever want to get to a point where we have pure parity, this has to happen and has to happen with regularity and not just with one program, but with multiple programs. And I think that it's interesting when you look at some of the players that are five-star prospects in this cycle who are committed to non-traditional powers or non-traditional, uh, recruiting hoarders from the past five to seven years. I mean, you have a commitment to Mizzou already. We could be getting another one. We have a Texas tech commitment. We have a Florida state one, which I know they are a, a blue blood, but they haven't been recruiting this way in the last five years. We have one to South Carolina. We have Tennessee. Florida's trying to get back off the schneid. Like there are a lot of players um, that are going to places that are trying to build something. So I find that to be fascinating. I find it to be exciting. And I also would love to know if people actually want that. So we'll get into that in a minute because uh, that is interesting. But Grace, you've talked to um, uh, Ryan Wingo's high school coach, and I, I this might be obvious, but the proof of concept is something we talk a lot about in college football because coaches take over programs. They're trying to sell certain things. But when you can see what Luther Burden is doing there, I mean, that, that's, he's not – Ryan Wingo's maybe – if he goes to Missouri, if, 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 is taking a leap because it's not a traditional power, but it's not like he – they don't know what to do with a five-star wide receiver. Yeah, and the thing that I didn't know was that – I mean, I figured the two of them were friendly, but it sounds like they're actually pretty decent friends. And so um, – and we, I also talked to Cooper Patagna about this at 24-7 um, – someone had to be first, right? Someone had to like be the first domino to fall. And Luther did that. And you look at not only the production he's having on the field, but the way that he's really taken advantage of NIL and Missouri's laws are obviously a little bit different. Um, 
and it it's there. It's it's someone to steal Ari's term, like someone had to make Mizzou be a member of the cool kids table again. And Luther was the first to do that. And I figured it was going to be Williams Noary, actually, that might if if Wingo picks Mizzou, my theory was that, oh, he and Williams must be buds like he's, you know, he saw Williams do this. Maybe he wants to to uh, to follow suit. And I think that if he does pick Mizzou, it will be more because of of Luther Burden and their in their friendship and just the way he's seen how Mizzou has used them. Now, he would be uh, those two would be the fifth and sixth five stars to sign with Missouri in the modern era. Uh, Doriel Green Beckham, wide receiver in 2012. Burden, obviously, last year or two years ago. Uh, defensive lineman Terry Beckner in 2015, and Sheldon Richardson, defensive lineman in 2009. And the thing there is, they are all either Missouri natives or from East St. Louis, which is basically in state um, there. So that is, you know, we're spending all this oxygen time on Missouri. He might just commit to Texas. But again, this is one that I would expect to go, to go down to the wire. And originally, he was going to decide in December. And, you know, I was thinking too, like last couple of years, especially two years ago, Ari, I remember you were, you went to a couple signing ceremonies. You wrote a bunch of stuff on signing day two years ago in December during the early signing period. Like we've only got, he's committing today. Then I think there's three, five stars uncommitted. Like there might be almost no drama on signing day. Um, maybe there'll be some flips. I'm sure there will be, but there's probably going to be like 95% of the top 100 guys committed. Uh, yeah, on, on signing day. I also think too that we have to rem- remind ourselves that commitments don't necessarily equate to lack of drama because sometimes drama comes in the form of flips and Potential things flips. that happen yeah. late. I, I don't know um, if the early signing period would be kind of a good case study. Maybe you should do all the research for it for me so I could get the byline. <laughs> if like no, uh, all kidding aside though, if there's been less signing day drama since the institution of the or installation, I think is the word um, of the early signing period. Um, It it might be that there is something to just the idea that if you sign early, then you're more certain of your decision than you would have been. Had you signed late? Does that make sense? Maybe I'm like drawing, drawing. I think think it's more about the June visits and kids being able to commit over the summer. Well, All the theories. I think that's, what's so great about the show. Like you could talk it out, but it's like, if you are signing in, December, then you're certain because you have the fallback plan to sign in February if you're not sure. So that kind of eradicates whatever type of grab ass could be out there in terms of. But last year, we had a lot of grab ass during December, too, with the paint Bowen scenario and Austin. I mean, it happens, but I don't know if it's happening at a less frequent rate now. It seems like it is. I don't know. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One of the notable commitments of this past week, and need to bring Manny in here for several reasons on this. It's his neck of the woods, but uh, five-star defensive lineman Armando Blunt flipped from Miami uh, from the class of 2025 defensive lineman into the 2024 class um, to Florida State. So obviously, this is huge, Manny, on so many fronts. Um, big blow for Miami, but yes. maybe maybe a boon for your Florida State taking the recruiting crown in 2024, maybe not dead. Is, yeah. are, is there signs of life there, Manny? There could be, right? I mean, they, uh, they landed <laughs> Jeremiah Smith here. Uh, I had a couple of the 247 guys who were fans of Stars Matter who uh, messaged me and said, hey, man, your prediction might be right. Ari might have to uh, be shocked that you that you pulled this one off in the end. And, 
Yeah, I guess you do the math and you throw in somebody um, from from the recruiting services told you that I'm going to be wrong. <laughs> they said there's a chance. They said you might actually that I might actually be right. Because so, I uh, actually because I actually am looking at the at the team rankings here. And Florida State now. is fourth. You, you, three you, five. <laughs> well, I didn't know that Manny was going to like rig Miami commitments to flip and reclassify. That's the only way the math is going to work out. Yeah. It's literally someone reclassified. They added a five star that didn't exist last week. So <laughs> that's where the, yeah. these guys are. These guys are getting paid. It's not nil. It's Manny funneling money to them. Nil. I'm going to make sure this prediction is right, Ari. <laughs> You're the uh, bad we man. Made a bet. We never made a bet. We might have to make like uh, obviously it's still. I'll a make long a bet. Shot. I'll. Yeah, I mean, I honestly... If I'm, if I'm right, you got to take me to SeaWorld. I haven't been there since my honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want it to get hot and heavy, though, man. I just like... <laughs> I know it's like a, uh, it's a honeymooner spot, but yeah, I'll take you to SeaWorld. All right. We'll call that even. No, but it, listen, it was a huge pickup for FSU. Uh, if you looked at their class, they didn't really have too many sort of defensive linemen, and obviously they've got a very... And they missed out on LJ McCray just the previous week, right? Yeah, LJ McCray picked Florida. Uh, Miami got Booker Pickett, who's another four-star edge rusher in-state. So you had three defensive linemen that committed last week, and and the big three all got one of them. Miami, of course, would have preferred to hold on to Armando Blunt because he's a a defensive tackle, and that's kind of what they're missing, I think, in this class. But look, Florida State, they're the number four team in the country, right? Right now, I think fourth. They moved up to after this last weekend, so... Um, they're having a great season. Mike Norville has a chance to get to the playoff, and this is something that could happen. I think they could pick up more guys here down the stretch, and maybe I will be right, Ari. Okay, I want to say something real quick before we move on. Um, <laughs> 17 of the top 100, or the top 17 players in the state of Georgia um, rank in the top 125 total. So that's a stacked state, obviously. Mm-hmm. Florida State has, I believe, four commitments out of the state of Georgia um, in that realm. And three of them are top 100 players. So Florida is Florida State is like absolutely eating in the state of Georgia this year. And I know that we've talked a lot about how Georgia has not been doing really well in the Atlanta area or the Georgia state. It is insane to me. But of the top 10 players in the state of Georgia, all of them have committed. Only one is going to Georgia. And the one that is going to Georgia is Dylan Rayola, who's not from Georgia. Like that is like. <laughs> It's it's banana amazing. Land. Like it yeah. is banana How many land. though are in the like how many are in Georgia, but like Landon Thomas is basically in Florida, is he not? That's in, what I was, like, I was literally just yeah, looking at the map. Very, like, very, very Warner soft Robbins, Georgia. Val- Valdosta, those places yeah. are Yeah, near, I don't Florida, know. Yeah. Those are like, Florida State hotbeds. Yeah. But seriously, to Ari's point, if you if like, you Buford just did the recruiting is like, results. Is Atlanta, right? Yeah, yeah. Buford's uh, a little KJ uh, east of of Atlanta, but but Ari, yeah. if I just gave you the Georgia like the top fifty players or top twenty players in Georgia over the last two or three years and showed where they were going, and you did not know anyone's record, you'd be like, man, that whoever's coaching Georgia, they're on the hot seat. They, they're gonna, you, you be, know, they're got to be on their way out. Well, let me say this: if and when Georgia wins the recruiting crown this year, if that's what it looks like at the end. I, don't, I was told not to use profanity on this podcast anymore, really? uh, and I'm working on it. Um, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is... Yeah, is that more impressive? Like, yeah. I think that there's a story I, there. Like, I got I, I got to Hollywood and have been writing too many columns. I need to get back to my roots. I need to start yes. writing recruiting strategy. Like, I need to call somebody at Florida State, and I think I'm going to do that right when we get off here, and, like, just be like... How are you doing so well in Georgia this year? Like what, like what is the, like that is a thing. I think that somebody needs to talk to, or I might, maybe I'll get on a conference call and ask her to be smart. Like, how are you recruiting at such a high level, but doing so, I don't like saying poorly or why, bad. Hey, Kirby, why do you suck in your own state? Why do you suck? No, it's like, they're awesome at everything. So it's like, right. you can't, you can't criticize Georgia because they're great, but it is, I, I guess the word would be just bizarre. Is yeah. it, is it just bizarre? Um, but it's a trend and, too. I mean, it's not this, this year is more profound, but like it's last couple of years. Yeah. And it's like, we're not talking about like, and I know there's, I know a Georgia recruiting staffer and I would like to get him to know him a little bit better. Um, who, you know, will tell you that there are certain players in the state and nationally that they're not interested in. And I buy that completely because, yeah. um, Georgia doesn't have to take somebody because they're ranked 41. They don't, they're not in, they, they are, they are selecting the best of the best. And that's what makes them so great. Cause you're selecting from within the cream of the crop. Whereas a, a, a program that is building might be more prone to take 
uh, a player who ranks in the top 50 just based on that ranking, just what it says about their program, Georgia can be more selective. So there is more to it than, you know, they whiffed on these guys. There are certain players that are in this position that Georgia probably just doesn't want. But what are the odds of the top 10 players, all of whom are in the top 63 nationally in the 247 rankings and the top 80 in the composite? Um, Oh no, the top 50 in the composite. Like that they don't want any of them. And like, what are the chances of them not getting them? It's like, again, banana land. I don't get it. By the way, I I went back to my story from March just to look at Georgia, like where the, you know, in terms of in-state recruiting last year, they only signed five of their 26 signees from in-state. Florida was where they got the majority of their recruits from. They got nine from the state of Florida. So, and and the percentage overall is 40% in the last uh, six cycles heading into this one. That would seem to, uh, Ari's, Mm -hmm. you know, we've identified that that helps Florida State. But mm-hmm. that should also help Tennessee, South Carolina, Clemson. Like, I mean, everyone recruits Georgia, but the the bordering right. states that can really sell. Hey, you're basically playing at home. Like Knoxville, Tennessee is only two and a half well, this, hours. Well, this is the from, thing from, too. When I was covering Ohio State, I think Ohio was probably a little bit deeper. You know, they they have good years and bad years in terms of in-state talent. But during the beginning portions of Urban Meyer's trek into the national recruiting realm, um. He used to say in press conferences, and I don't know if he meant it or if he was just saying it to make the high school coaches in Ohio feel better, that his number one fear about going out nationally and getting players was that it leaves the state open and will indirectly allow their direct competitors in their own conference to be better. Because if you go out and get a five-star linebacker from California, but don't sign the top 70 linebacker, not that that happened very often, but, you know, a really good linebacker that you might have taken in most cycles. Um, that means he's going to Michigan State or Michigan or Kentucky or one of these teams that is regionally recruiting the state. And we called them the leftovers. The, the players that don't that, that Ohio State did not have room for in their own state were left over for to be ripe for the picking. And this allowed other teams to come in and be better. And funny enough. Ohio State lost to Michigan State teams in the biggest possible stages um, in the Big Ten Championship game in 13, and they lost to them at home at 15. And, you know, I know the 13 team was pre-urban built, but how many players on those teams were Ohio-born guys that Ohio State didn't take because they were in Florida or Texas or California? And it's like if Georgia still signs the number one overall class and doesn't sign their players in that state – you're still making South Carolina and Tennessee and Florida state and all these other teams that recruit Atlanta better, which then makes your job more difficult later on down the line. Because if Georgia signed the number one overall class in the country and everybody came from the peach state and Florida and in the South, then Florida state and Tennessee and South Carolina would probably have a harder time going out into California to get the guys that are already in Georgia's class. And I think that it would probably be fair. And let me um, just pull this up because we can't, Go I think on. we can call this a manifesto, by the way. This, is this a, am, I, am, I, am I speaking too much? I'm sorry. I just, it's a manifesto. The Georgia Dude, manifesto. You know, this this podcast is filled with a ton of grab ass because of me. But like when we're <laughs> actually getting into cooking about like recruiting and numbers, yeah. like don't put your hand into the kitchen. Like I'm cooking right now. <laughs> like, like what do you? We have other comp. We have competent can, chefs, though. You ever you I watch know. the bear? You watch can the I bear? Give you, You're can like, I give you the last dates everybody? Was yeah, the entire point of the bear to give people watching it anxiety? Because I couldn't <laughs> do it after two episodes. I was so oh, anxious. It's amazing. It's like, the second, the second season disgusting. was amazing. Yeah, it was okay. just What was stressful. amazing about it? Did you see the second season? Buddy, after the second episode, I thought like I had to take a hot shower. I couldn't. Like, it was disgusting. The Christmas episode <laughs> was just oh was, like, so intense. Oh, also, too, like that dude that was in Shameless. What's yeah. his name? Yeah, I know. who. Yeah. Why is he always sweating and like oily? Like, I know women <laughs> think he's hot. But it's like, take a freaking shower. Like, it's disgusting. And like, if you're a chef, there's got to be some sort of hygiene standard that is just not happening with that guy. Jeremy Allen, Cam, our producer yeah. says Jeremy Allen White. You know, yeah, when you got Jeremy three names Allen, like that. Uh, Jeremy Allen White needs to take one of his names and trade it in for a bar of soap. Grace, is that uh, <laughs> what Christmas is like at your household? Huh? Is Christmas like that at the Rainer household? Oh my gosh, no. That, like, that was, I mean... I like had to recover from that episode. That was for so, Maddie, days. do you watch it? No, I don't. 
Okay, you need Manny. If it yeah. was called the Dolphin, Manny would be all over it. But it's called the Bear. So <laughs> if it was called the Dolphin, I watched it with Nicole you know back and I was like, "What in?" And she had already seen it, so she like knew what. She was watched coming. it again, and I was like, <laughs> I, "Like, I didn't know what to say afterwards." I was like, "I don't have any words for this." Like, was this during one of your girls' trips? Yes. <laughs> this is what you did during your girls' trip. <laughs> <laughs> is that what? Like, is that? Am I getting? The, Nicole rewatched the bear during a girl's trip. <laughs> it was like at night. We were like cooking dinner, winding down, you know, yeah. coming back from the beach. Okay. Were you yelling at each other? No, everyone okay. was in like silence. Like, oh my gosh, how do I react to this uh, episode? Like I was scarred for like a week. All right. I didn't watch past that episode. I was like, oh, I'm it's, out. It's, uh, it's, it's, Manny, it's have you seen Eastbound and Down? Uh, I saw one episode years ago. I haven't. You should I, watch that watch before the bear. Yeah. That one's funnier. Okay. All right. I'm well, the bear's not really supposed to be funny. It's no, I know. Just, it's supposed just, to make you anxious. It's great. Yeah, good. So, uh, Manny, uh, we you you casually mentioned uh, Booker Pickett, a edge rusher yes. from Tampa, number two twelve overall, a Miami legacy, committed uh, a couple days before the uh, Armando Blount fit. Love, um, love how that happens. Flipped. Yeah, just coincidentally, just <laughs> Miami gets good recruiting news a couple days before they're going to get bad recruiting news. Um, so, kid from Tampa. It seems like it was. I didn't follow this one at all. Was that, was that a no-brainer? Like, he's just a Miami legacy? Yeah, his his dad uh, played for the Hurricanes in the mid-'90s, and I know his uncle played at Ohio State and actually was a was a first-round pick. Oh, yeah. Um, in, in 2000. Brian so he, Yes, correct. So he's uh, he comes from good genes. I know he's a really good athlete, so it's, it's a good pickup for Mario. He needs more pass rushers. I mean. Uh, Don't but, we all? Yeah. yeah. Um, 25 commits. By the way, Four-star tight end named James Flanagan, who attends Notre Dame Academy in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I think we can all figure out where he's going. Last name Flanagan from mm-hmm. Notre Dame Academy, going to <laughs> Notre Dame. Um, but this one, Ari, uh, Friday night, kind of a not that they care or plan it like this, sort of like a, a Friday news dump. Antoine Hill, a quarterback from the state of Georgia, number 66 in the 2025 class from Warner Robins, which I believe is South Georgia, commits to Colorado. So, um, just noteworthy when, you know, Dion gets his uh, guy, gets his quarterback, um, and from the state of Georgia and they are, they are recruiting heavily in the SEC footprint. And might be the first building block to what will maybe be, uh, his second full class, but third class he will sign. Like maybe this will be the one that we were waiting for. I don't know how this one's going to finish, but, um, man, that guy's got swag, dude, that white beard and the cowboy hat. It's like, I'd play for that guy. Dion? Uh, yeah, he's just cool. Okay. Everything he does is cool. Class? Their current class is mid in comparison to like what I would have thought. Low like numbers would, too. Like nine commits? Yeah, and it, and it might turn out to be great. But like in terms of like the juice, like with the way that the season started and the hype around Colorado, like I would have thought, you know, more top 100-ish type players would be would be in the fold there. But, you know, his magic has always seems to be at the end of the process and I don't know if this has been by design or just kind of the way it worked, but the the flips that he did get, Manny, and, and I, sorry if I'm uh, wrong on this, but did you have any instinct or did anybody at the Miami level have any instinct that Cormani was going to flip before that happened like a week before? Or like, uh, it seems like everything is secret secret with him. I don't know. It doesn't. Yeah, um, I, I think I think uh, the when they showed up at Lakeland High School and he wasn't there to meet them, <laughs> yeah. that was uh, they, were, they were kind of tipped off then that something was amok. So. But how long ago was? But how long before the that the, was maybe a month before? I think uh, Mario had. Yeah, there was plenty of there. smoke. That was not yeah, a shock. There was no, I just thought yeah. I remembered in my head that like when he flipped to Colorado, I was like, whoa. But yeah, right. What about what? That, a, uh, Dylan Edwards also flipped from where? Kansas State? No, uh, Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. He was Notre Kansas Dame. State, then flipped to Notre Dame, and then flipped um, a couple weeks before. I don't remember that one either, if that was like stunning or... Yeah, are you talked to him the night he flipped, I think, right? <laughs> Dylan Edwards? I did, yes, yes. Um, went to dinner. Story. Yeah. Also, he's awesome. Yeah, so we will uh, transition to James Franklin. Um, tough loss on the field Saturday. Um, I think... I had I picked them. Ari asked me last week, did I pick them just because I wanted something different? Maybe that was it. I just thought that I believed in their defense and and thought that the offensive shortcomings were more because of just didn't, not needing to stretch it out against inferior opponents. But they clearly did not look good offensively. Um, so then the, that that starts the James Franklin talk, and you know credit him. He was honest about it at his press conference the other day. He he addressed it. But there's there's a lot of stuff going around. Um, 
it's just like some national columns, you know, referred to him as an elite recruiter. And I think that's a little bit of a, that's not really true. Um, he's a good recruiter. Since well, it might be true. It might okay, be well, true. let me just add some numbers. Yeah. Two, since 2015, his first full cycle, so I'm not including 14, Penn State's average class is 13.6. It's 12th nationally. Um, Ohio State, by the way, is sixth, average number six and third. James Franklin has two top 10 classes, number six in 2018 and number six in 2022. Now, in nine full cycles, if you play at Penn State, and you have a hundred thousand stadium and a great program which won national championships in the modern era. I think maybe more than one top ten, more than two top ten classes would you, you need that to be considered an elite recruiter. What'd you say? Sorry, I was texting Grace. <laughs> Ari literally, Ari literally just texted me. Hi. <laughs> I'm I'm totally kidding. Mitch. This is the segment you wanted to talk about. You I, I start talking. I can tell you're not paying attention to me. I give you a layup for another manifesto, and you're texting Grace. Hi. He texted me hi with four exclamation points, then hi again, then I'm hyper, then I'm just texting you to see your facial You're like reaction. a child. You are a child. <laughs> this is how I used to act in high school. It's just still like that way. Um, yeah, I just like to undermine. By the way, I was at the dentist today. I was at the dentist today, and they asked me to fill out some updated paperwork. And they asked me on a scale of zero, one to ten, how would I rate my smile? And I really, wrote, I wrote fifteen and circled it. <laughs> Did you really? Like, yeah, I was like, if you're going to ask me a dumb question like that, I'm going to be a wise ass. Like, do you Are they think like that waiting it's just for a- someone to say anything less than ten and be like, oh, you need braces? I mean, I guess yeah, like, they're they're it's an upsell. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, she's like, oh, I, I go in back. She goes, I see you like your, your smile. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. It was I would, weird. I, I'll tell you, Mitch, it's not a 15. I'll, I'll tell you that much right now. Wait, it, nine, <laughs> nine. No, you can actually, you have a nice like, smile? I actually think you're like a really handsome man, especially oh, for you. your age. And so does my wife. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's nice of her. She, I think it's just her way of trying to get my ass out running like you. But <laughs> <laughs> I swallowed uh, a bug running yesterday. Oh, I told you guys that yesterday. It was so disgusting, but go ahead. It reminds okay. me of the movie Dumb and Dumber. Uh, you got to get something to eat? No, nope. I swallowed a big June bug on the way up here. I'm not really that hungry. <laughs> uh, great movie. Okay, so uh, who, what, I was was, the, what was the question? Penn State. Yeah. I threw out, um, since 2015. I just, he's, Are you going to read them again? No. Well, do, you, do you want me to read them again? You no, I'm attention. kidding. I wanted to see okay. how far so I could So do, do you think um, in nine full cycles, Penn State has two top ten classes? Yes. Is that elite? Yeah, the question about whether or not James Franklin is an elite recruiter, I think, is based on what you think elite results are at Penn State. And that's the hardest thing to do because my number one problem in the whole column I wrote on Monday, and you helped me with this, Mitch, was what is the right way to view Penn State? You know, like, are they supposed to be judged against the results of the teams that they're trying to beat? Um, Are they supposed to have top five classes every single year or is having two top five classes and like proof that he's great because you're not supposed to have those, you know, like the year that they got Micah Parsons was that the 2016 class. I believe so. I I don't know if you said, but like they had an incredible class and, uh, Oh, that's way, way, way before Parsons. I think it was 18. I think. Okay. Sorry. Um, they had, yeah, Micah Parsons, and Justin Shorter, two five-star prospects, and I believe six top 100 players, all of whom like had a big difference um, in that program. And well, Shorter, thought, Shorter, well, Shorter didn't pan out. He transferred to Florida. Um, but Harrisburg, PA, you know, you've got guys out of PA and Washington in the Northeast, like all of their top 100 players that they got in that class, top 100 players were from either Pennsylvania or the DMV or the Northeast somewhere. And it was like, that is the blueprint for Penn State. If there's a five-star player in Harrisburg or in Ohio State wanted him really bad. I don't know if you guys remember. Um, he was on the set of College Game Day in Columbus for one of the games, and he wasn't supposed to be up there because, you know, it's a recruiting violation. And then it turned out that Ohio State just stopped recruiting him after it and all that stuff. Um, but I want to know what your guys' thoughts yeah, are. Yeah, like, Ma- Manny is a perfect uh, – Manny's been around college football, not quite as old as me. But covered a program that you know obviously thinks it should win national titles and has won national titles. You're in the state with Florida and Florida State. 
like I grew up in New Jersey, so I've got a perception of Penn State because they're the, basically the team there. Like, wh- what's your perception of Penn State, Manny, and wh- where they should be? I mean, I think they're just a more successful version of Miami, right, in terms of uh, recruiting the same level caliber talent, right? Like Penn State always recruits well. Miami always recruits well. I think James Franklin has just coached better than Miami's coaches for the last decade. He just – he's not going to win a national championship because he's – they're not good enough. And I think... Um, but should they be good enough? Could they be good enough? I mean, I'm doing like, just because we talked about five stars, right? And like, how much does a five star make a difference? I just I just went through like the last seven national champions as you guys were looking. Because I, I was like, what's the minimum number of five stars that you need um, on your roster um, using the team talent composite? And if you go back to 17, like LSU in, in 2019 had seven five stars. That's the fewest. Um, Alabama, Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia, uh, the other champs all had double digits. Clemson actually had nine in 2018. And it's like, go look at Penn State's roster this year. How many five stars do they have? Right. Cause we, we, the whole argument is like Marvin Harrison Jr. Right. Like if he, if he went to Penn State in, instead of Ohio State, how much of a difference does he make? Yeah. Do they well, win that game Saturday? Probably. Yeah. But like if you look at Penn State's roster right now, they've got, three five stars according to the team talent composite. Miami's got four. So to me, until they become a really elite program, which is, you know, let's face it, there's only six or seven every single year that get that many, that get seven to nine at the minimum five stars on their roster until they reach that point. Like they're just going to be at most a nine or 10 win program that, you know, it's nice. Your fan base gets excited. uh, But, you know, can they really beat the elite teams and get to the playoff? I, I just don't see that happening. And so there is a step forward that that Penn State has to take. And, and you know, to me, it's the same thing like Miami. Like, that's why Mario's there. He's got to raise the level of talent. Miami's got four, four star, uh, four or five stars on its roster this year. Um, he needs 10, 11, something like that to uh, beat a Florida State, to win the conference, to get to the playoff. That's that's the bottom line. It really is a talent war. And, and to me, that's that's what I think of Penn State. They're just not good enough. And Grace, you covered a program, and we talked about a lot, one of the few programs that changed its spot on the college football food chain. Now they might be changing it back. But, uh, I mean, you know, Clemson, Clemson's one of those rare programs that made that move. They, they went from having probably a Penn State-type roster to a, uh, you know, an Alabama-Georgia roster. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we've probably asked you this on previous podcasts, but you're obviously a younger and, and started watching college football at a different time. Well, what's your outside perception of, of Penn State in, in where they fall in the food chain? I, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a total butthole, but like, <laughs> when, okay. like, Ari's like, Ari cannot wait to hear this. But like when and why did we start expecting James Franklin to perform, recruit, win at the level of the elite in college football? Like, is it because they're like maybe it's a larger expectations talk, but is it because their alumni base is so massive and they sh- and they just should be good? Or like, I don't really understand how we got here. Like he's he's like three and what 16 against like top 10 opponents, like one and nine against Ohio state. It's not even like he did get it done. And now he's regressed. He's just never gotten it done. And I realize this makes me sound so me, but I just don't get it. Like, why are we holding him to the same standard uh, of like Kirby smart and Nick <laughs> Mr. Shady? Wasserman, would you like to chime in <laughs> at the risk of sounding like a complete butthole? Let me tell you, uh, you know what it happened for me right around the time he got a hundred million dollars of guaranteed money. <laughs> but why did they do that? That's what I'm no, saying. I know. Like, I know. Uh, like why? Uh, I don't, I'm I not think saying he's a bad coach. I think he's a very, very good coach, but I think yeah. there's an obvious ceiling for them. And then we're just expecting them to compete at this level that they've given us no reason to believe that they can. So like, why are we continuing to think, believe that? I think it's a combination of three things. One, it's Vanderbilt brain. And I'm not saying that as a joke to you, Mitch, but I think people, expected that he was some sort of Dabo Sweeney genius like guy who could do it because of what he did at Vanderbilt for a few years. I think it's the success that the program had in the nineties and the eighties and what um, people have come to expect out of a place that was, um, has this fan base in a stadium as big as it is. And then of course, I think it's geographical and access to players and being involved in rivalries with, with teams that have those expectations and, 
you know, historically doing a pretty good job in those games. So I think anybody who takes the Penn State job and is going to be compensated this way, it wasn't like he wasn't making any money before the guaranteed contract, is going to be put in a position where they're expected to beat those teams. Um, but I, the column that I wrote on Monday was a question of, are we wrong? Which is your point here. I think that, like, are we wrong to expect those things? And I think that is the ultimate insult to Penn State. Cause like a lot of people, um, whenever I wrote negative things about Penn State in the past would get in my comments and make excuses and call me a butthole and do all these things that, um, you know, made me feel like weird about it. It's like, okay, you're right. But then the alternative to that, to being held to a higher standard is, okay, well then you're not good enough. Let's not even worry about you at that level, which I actually think would be worse. So if I were James Franklin, I would certainly want to be held to that standard. I'd want people to view me as that standard. I think if you look at what Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel, I think this is their number one disagreement in their coaching rankings every year when they do it on the audible. But I think Bruce has James Franklin pretty high on his list most years because of what he did at Vanderbilt. And my last point, and I'll let Manny cook is that I think doing what he did at Vanderbilt is just a different job than doing what he's expected to do at Penn state. Yeah. Taking a team that was, you know, oh, and ass to nine wins a few years is a, a tremendous accomplishment and and did a really good job of, you know, capitalizing on some stuff there. And Mitch can speak on that better than I can. But that doesn't mean that he all of a sudden is qualified to go recruit against Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan and win those games consistently. And maybe the, the real realistic answer to that question is maybe Penn State is just a team that is going to have a 2016 season once a decade. And that is what he's being paid for. And the guaranteed money is to make sure that they're always 10 and two. And if that's the case, then we need to stop. Like, do we look at them differently when they make the 12 team playoff every year? That's my biggest fear. Yeah. So let me, I I don't want this to diminish anything he did at Vanderbilt, because obviously if you look at the history in winning nine games, two two years in a row is just incredible, but there's, it's, it's a topic of much debate around here when assessing him versus other coaches. And again, he, he won those games, but he was there during a time when Tennessee was not very good. Georgia, he beat Georgia once. They were not very good. Florida, one at Florida. Will Muschamp was there. They were on, on the way out the door there. So Ole Miss was a team that Vanderbilt plays every year out of the West. They, you know, Houston nuts last, or last year and then the beginning of the Hugh Freeze era. It was kind of a perfect storm of – taking advantage of mostly an SEC East that wasn't where it is now. So, um, but I, I, I just think, and also you have thing, Vanderbilt brain, but because I do think that you think we've gotten into arguments since you became my editor years ago about this. And I think that you hold him to a higher regard than I do. Yeah, probably. But As I, also think, I want to add one more thing too. He also, I, he was maybe at Vanderbilt at a time when other programs were down he also has the misfortune at being at Ohio uh, at Penn State when Ohio State has been as consistently strong. I know Ohio That's State's fair. never really sure. had down periods. Yeah. They are as yeah. consistently elite as they've ever been. Well, as a recruiting outfit, more yes. more specifically than the results on the field. And Ohio State was very disruptive in New Jersey and in Pennsylvania during their time. And I think that that's a very important point to make. Yeah. Um, so I in, one another point I want to make too is like this is a completely different era because of expectations. I always go back to Bob Stoops ruined it by winning a national championship in his second year. But look at a lot of coaches. Go, go to Tom, go to Nebraska on college football reference. Tom Osborne is considered you know one of the great coaches of all time. He was, I'm not going to read his whole resume here, but two losses, three losses, three losses, three losses, three losses, two losses, two losses for like a decade. And then he kind of made another move and one loss. One, and then like in the mid-90s towards the end, he had some of the best teams in college football we've ever seen. So it's like, it's just, we can sit here and say, Penn State can't do it. He can't beat these teams. We're going to say that until he does do it, which he might not do. But, but the like, most infuriating thing about it is, is that they're in every game that they play usually. Which is like better get than getting your ass out. Yeah, right. So yeah. like, but the thing about it that is infuriating if you're a Penn State fan is, it's not like James Franklin has these overrated teams that um, everybody thinks are, is amazing. And then they go into Michigan Stadium. I mean, they have a few times, but, you know, particularly against Ohio State, they don't get their ass kicked. Yeah, two years. And they beat in the a teams row, they're supposed to beat. They beat yeah. the teams that they're supposed to beat. In two years in a row, they had two score leads on Ohio State in the fourth quarter and just blew those games. And I mean, maybe that's a coaching thing, but like they have been very good. And even though uh, the score was twenty to twelve and it was a one score, you know, deficit, and people will tell you that Ohio State was probably 
like more separated as who was going to win that game than the score indicates. I mean, Penn State was one defensive touchdown or one big play away or one dynamic player away from winning um, because of the scoreboard. So it's like not unattainable, which is the frustrating part. Like if you resign yourself of them being a second class citizen in the Big Ten to Michigan and Ohio State, then you're disregarding all the evidence, which is they usually win 10 or nine games. And they're usually in close games with the teams that win the conference. So what does it take to actually get over the hump? And I think it turns out that it comes down to winning five more recruiting battles or four more recruiting battles a year in your territory against these teams. And if you're going to talk about how good of a recruiter James Franklin is, you can take your record, your numbers and your records and throw them out the window and whittle it down to that one point, which is, can you win important recruiting battles against very good teams that you're playing against? And the answer to that question by and large has been no. And I would say quarterback has been another thing. I mean, I know Drew Aller was a five-star and all that, but, I mean, you just look at the last couple of years. I mean, Sean Clifford, is he somebody that got you excited? Trace McSorley, uh, Christian Hackenberg. I think that's been an area, too, where they just haven't gotten the guy that makes a difference. And they had, you know, Hackenberg was, I know when that staff got there, they loved him. They thought he was great. And you can maybe, maybe they had the wrong offensive coordinator at the wrong time there. And I think but, McSorley um, was a really good college player. I think Yeah, he's in the NFL. He, he, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think that he was a, a pretty dynamic but, player. But, but nothing I compared think, to what Ohio State had. I right. Mean, I mean, sure. Right. Your point is that they don't have a first round pick at, at the quarterback position, like which was the, supposed to be the difference yeah. with Aller. But there's no way he's. Yeah. There's no way he's getting fired. Obviously. But my my contention is if you keep doing. I know the Big Ten's changing, so this might not make sense because you're adding some really good teams. But if you kept doing this for ten years, like how many Big Ten champions? He's already won one. Zero. You he don't think he'd won. win another one? Oh, maybe, I guess. Well, here's I mean, the thing. I, I think he would eventually, like, let's say Drew Aller turns out to be a great quarterback and he's really good next year. Like, would they have won this game if Drew Aller were a year older, well, a little more seasoned? Here's the thing that you have to consider, um, and I didn't write this in the Iowa column, and I really regretted it, but <laughs> Iowa has been living in this world. Not that I haven't shit on them enough this week, but um, <laughs> Iowa language, has been living. Language? Lang- no, Ear I muffs? think the Ear- S word's okay occasionally. Occasionally. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I, What's I it like in movies to be R? You can say the F word like one time or two I times told and you, still be PG-13? My, my daughter has been saying the F word around yes. the house. And we've been, That's really... We've been, we've been working on that. Great. Uh, we've been... No, I, you, I've been working on it, you should say. By we've been working on it, I get yelled at and the door slammed in my face. Uh, my wife is the perfect woman. Like, seriously, I cannot believe how amazing she is in like dealing with it. Well, she's she has a flaw. She, she likes got, me. Yeah, right. Like you it. fooled her. She got, she got duped by you. <laughs> I was much cooler when we were dating, but, uh, what, the, what was I saying? I hope so. I hope so. Oh, um, the one thing I was going to say about Iowa that I didn't write in the column and I should have, but they've been living in this wonderful garden of Eden, which is the big 10 West where they get to play all these teams that play in quicksand and all that <laughs> stuff. And then like next year when the divisions go away and Iowa's cross reference or the cross games that they usually have been avoiding in their dynamic seasons turn out to be like, Oh, I was playing USC, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio state, and Penn state this year. Um, yeah, it's going to get real ugly real quick. If they don't fix their offense, the, the counterpoint to that is, well, Penn state was in this weird no man's land of where they had no protected rivals, which is kind of funny, but like right. also could be an advantage of like, you know, maybe one year they miss Ohio state and, and Michigan on their schedule. And actually have an advantageous path to the big 10 championship game or the big 10 title, depending on what it looks like in the future. And then they win the one game that they play at the end of the year, if that still exists against a really good team and win. So like, I think that there's a chance and they've already done it one year. They beat Ohio state in 2016. They won the big 10. They lost a weird game against Pitt in the non-conference that kept them out of the playoff that year, but they've already proven they can win the big 10, which is more than we could say about Michigan uh, two years ago. So like we've seen it flip and I think that they have the pieces there, but if we're going to answer the question here is how good of a recruiter is James Franklin? God, I think I write this column because it's just like, it's, it's right there in front of your face. But like, what is the, like, I still don't know. We like, I think the answer, the answer is no. He's I think the answer top, is no. He's not a top 10 recruiter. You can say that he's not top. He 10. can't beat the teams in recruiting that kick his ass on the field every year. So I want to go back to something Ari said. That's like chicken or the egg, right? Like, can he not beat them because they players see him getting waxed? And so they're like, I don't want to go there. I think that he needs to create a culture where the number one player in the state of Pennsylvania doesn't go to the Ohio State Penn State. He's got the number one player this year. He's got the number one player this year. Doesn't go to a tight end. The Ohio State game on the road 
wearing an Ohio against the world t-shirt when you're yeah, playing there. Like, I, yeah. I, I think that there is not a, a great look, not a great look. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but he was also on the field on Saturday against them. And who was it? Was it Fleming? Julian Fleming. And he yeah. hasn't been like, a he's been good but yeah. in college. He's been fine, but that is the build there. I think that is like owning Pennsylvania and like Ohio state being like, do we really want to spend a lot of time in Pennsylvania this year? Cause Penn state has the cooking. Like, if Penn, if Ohio State had to like second guess their strategy of going into Harrisburg or going into those places because James Franklin is a dog, then I think that that would be not only the answer to this question turning into a yes, but also the catalyst for Penn State just being a better football program. All right, I want to go back to something you said about schedules in 2026. Uh, I'm not sure. Non-conference, yeah, their non conference is, is, is weak at Maryland, at Michigan. At Northwestern, Minnesota, Purdue, Rutgers, USC, Wisconsin, at Washington. I'm not saying that's an easy schedule. That's not an easy schedule. But there's no Ohio State. And yes. who, who knows what Washington's going to be at that point. They get USC at home. They get at Michigan. It's just... just we know the, USC's the not going to be playing defense in 2026. Right. I'll tell you that much right <laughs> just now. Just removing hey. Ohio State from your schedule just seems like such a... Yeah, but Mitch, you know, we'll be in the middle of the playoff by then. So if they if they make the playoff and get bounced in round one, it, what are people going to say about James Franklin then? It's but maybe the they're not. You know, maybe they're not. The, the, the teams they're losing to have been pretty damn good. So if they mm-hmm. get the playoff. They're not playing Ohio State in the first round. Maybe we don't. Right. Maybe I would just implore be. you, if you're a Penn State fan, to not change your viewpoint of success because Penn State makes the playoff by default. And by can default, buy I mean Penn as the number nine seed. Can they buy a college football playoff T-shirt? Can they wear if that they around? Want, if they want. I don't know. I just, or you can just, you know, I'm going to buy you a Penn state college football playoff t-shirt. I can't wait. I just, I'm a big fan of, of working towards a goal and achieving it and then feeling good about it. I feel What's bad. Your, I didn't mean to go sports earth on him. I just, yeah, it's just grace. Grace. It's okay. Grace. You, you, grace you were not, do you hear those things I say on the show? Like you're like a <laughs> one on the, on the desk. Do, do you read what Ari writes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what was the original headline on Iowa? Like this is disgusting. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and then they replaced it with the word nepotism. It worked out well for me. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Actually, it did. All right, you said you're big into setting goal. Do you, would you like to share a goal with us? Do you have a goal you want to share? No. Okay. Offline, maybe? I've got a lot of goals. I think one is less profanity around the house. Okay, that, I think, honestly, that should be your number one goal. That should be your number one goal. I don't think but you also, want your daughter saying f about Just vomit. so you know, when my wife yells at me for having too much profanity around the house, it's also laced with profanity. So I, I don't know, like, it's, it's an, no, maybe the baby's not in the room at the time. I know why Ari but, doesn't like the bear. It hits a little too close to home. Too much that? yelling. You don't like the bear because it no, hits no, too no, cool no. much. My wife doesn't yell but a lot, but when she does, it's scary. Okay. You know, my, I don't know how, how you are, Grace, when you get into a fight with your wonderful significant other that you're going to marry soon. But my wife, when she's, like, actually very angry does the scariest thing, in my opinion, that a woman can do to their partner. Uh-oh. She goes into like, like quiet mode, which is, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk to you. Very <laughs> passive aggressive. One word answers to questions. If you ask them that, you know, that stare when you walk by somebody, but don't look at them, you know, cleaning around you very intensely, like all that sort of thing. Like the, the anger clean is like the, the anxiety from that. Uh, but but she always has a reason for being that angry. Uh, I'm <laughs> You're typically wrong in the wrong. Is that what we're saying? Bill Burr said this in one of his stand-up specials, and I thought it was true. He goes, you know the thing that I've learned uh, ever since I got married? We're always working on me. You know, <laughs> she, <laughs> she is a complete product that is just, she's the perfect form of herself. We got some things that we got to work through on this side of the relationship, and I'm okay with that. All right. Um, you guys ready for a little trivia? Let's do it. Grace. Yeah. It's your week. Nobody say anything. You. Make Grace answer it this week. No. No. <laughs> okay. What is the nickname of the University of North Carolina's football team? Well, that's a slam. Hey, I'm going there in a couple I, weeks. Exactly. You, you didn't answer it, though. Do you oh, know the Tar Heels. Okay, there you go. She Chris was stalling. This week. Did you cheat? Did you Google it? <laughs> you start Googling it. UNC, yeah. Um, all right. Class of two, back to the class. This was new, new data too, not from my old research. Class of 2018 quarterbacks. 
65 signed with Power 5 programs. Holy crap. Well, it's Who would have thought? Yeah, there's what, 60, 65 power. <laughs> um, how many, and I've just broken down, I want the total number, but I've broken down by five star, four star, and then three okay. the rest. How many started a game for the team they signed with in college? Mm. 65 oh, so- signees. How many of those 65 started at least one game? Some signed, started only one, started at least one game for the school they signed with. Six. Oh, my God. Uh, Would you say 60? Six. Six? No, no it's going to be way more Miami than that. Six. Man, the top that's, four. That, that's like that's early pod <laughs> Ari guess right there. That's the top four in that class all started for that, right? Right. I, mean, I was like, going to say like half, like 30. I'm going to say 47. Manny, I'll give you another chance. 15. <laughs> Doubling down, man. <laughs> I too like to live dangerously. <laughs> I'm not questioning Manny's math no, that now. That I'm like, going to be number one, though. 32 of 65. Yeah, 47 okay. was a little high. But um, I know that, like, that was the Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, yes. JT Daniels class. So, like, that was. I knew it was okay. at least three. I knew it was at least four. <laughs> okay. So, so, 12. This can't be right. There weren't 12. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, my, my, I love my, when we get to this part of the right. show. Actually, Wait a Manny minute. was right the whole time. Mitch just no. fucked it up. All messed it up again. No, my raw, my raw data was right. Uh, but I have 12 five stars. So we're, no, I'm sorry, Cam. That one slipped out. Okay, top 100. There were 12 top 100. How many How many started? 12 top 100 what? Quarterbacks we're talking about? Uh, I'm breaking down the... Question. Okay, so from the... Same class. to 12 of them were top 100? Yeah. Six. Six. <laughs> Ari. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Tanner McKee, JT Daniels, Matt Corral. That's five. Um, did Tyler Shuck ever start at Oregon? Yes. Six. Did Joe Milton ever start at Michigan? Seven. Um, this you just know, you know these OA quarterbacks. I mean, face. 18 quarterbacks. Yeah, because 18 was a huge. Yeah. Uh, 18 was a huge year for my cover. I was on the Ohio State beat, and it was like during the time where they were chasing Trevor. So I, I this is like, a, you know, like sometimes when you're on Wheel of Fortune and, or like. A, uh, Never been on Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> not Wheel of Fortune, but Jeopardy. And it's like, okay. what's your categories? Pizza styles. It's like, okay, let's go. Like, this is like my, this is my category. Um, I think, what did I say? Did I just say six? Adrian six, Martinez. Seven. I think Adrian, was Adrian Martinez a top 100 player? I He was in that. I don't know if he's top 100. Um, I'm going to say eight. Seven. Okay. Okay. You named them all. 19 blue chippers. What is it? Forget it. <laughs> was that the question? How many blue chippers? Okay. My 32 of 65 is correct. And my 7 of 12. Um, my 7 close. of 12. I was close with my first correct. answer for the second question. Four. <laughs> well, I, I understand what you're doing, Manny, because most of the time when he has a trivia question the answer yes. is always like holy crap i can't believe that <laughs> yes uh, yes but like that was just a bad year because like the top five all were really good <laughs> yes so did, Tre- did did ohio state come close to trevor at all i think ohio state i can't remember no see i got confused ohio state went all in on deshaun watson in the 14 class i think and missed, and then like they couldn't find a quarterback in that class. It was like a big deal back then. Who they signed? Do you remember? And they ended up getting Kenny Guyton at the end of that class. Oh, yeah. I think all the years and stuff. Some Ohio State fans. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but they got Kenny Guyton because uh, they had a quarterback spot to fill, and they had nobody to go after. And the quarterback coach that year was just in the state of Texas that day for recruiting somebody else. And they're like, go find the number one player in Texas at the quarterback position who hasn't committed yet. And they went and found Kenny Guyton, who was going to like a double A school. And they just took him for a body. And then he ended up being pretty good. And now is calling plays for Arkansas. Really? This weekend after they uh, fired Dan Enos. Yeah. Did not know that. Trivia. Um, yeah. There you go. Did he, he never, did he start at Ohio State? Uh, if he started it. It was because Braxton Miller got injured, which happened frequently. But I, okay. I think he did. But he 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 was the star of the 2012 comeback win against Penn. Uh, uh, sorry, it would have been Penn State because they always lose that game. But it was Purdue, and they almost lost at home, and it preserved their undefeated season in the first year of Urban Meyer's tenure. Gotcha. So, all right. So Ari, you entered the pod 
Feeling a little feisty. I've, I had a really good night on on Tuesday night before. I was so really, basically, if we really go back and night. look, rewatch or re-listen to all the pods of the last three years and look how you did gambling the night before, there's a correlation between your your exuberance, maybe? Fair? Uh, I mean, other things happen, too, in life, but okay. that's probably a pretty good place to start. Okay. Like, if we did a podcast on Sunday night, it would have been a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I did do a podcast with yeah. you on Sunday night. Oh, I did? Was it? Oh, but it was before the Sunday night game, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. So. Yeah, you were good on that. Always a new day. Yeah, I, I was very high on the Dolphins in that game. and Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> turns out that uh, Manny's not the only one high on the Dolphins on the show. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so next week, I we, we will have a breakdown of the Manny and Ari. Uh, I can't wait out. to see the Dolphins at SeaWorld. That's going to be yeah. fun. Yeah, I would love to go to SeaWorld with you, bud. Like, you're like one of my favorite people to work with. So I, I would go anywhere. Oh, by the way, uh, just before we get out of here. Um, you know, on Instagram, if you click on something, it, do you guys all have Instagram? Mm-hmm. Manny, do you have it? Yep. Yep. We got to follow each other. I thought we were closer than that. Um, on that note, Ari, thank you for listening to the latest edition of stars matter. We will catch you guys next week.